chatting with Sherry. Today we welcome back an old couple of friends to the show. Um, they're not old, but they're really cute. Uh, Nicholas Dyack and Michelle Brittany. They're going to be talking about their new book that they co-edited called Hard Literature from Gothic to Postmortem. And we're going to talk about stuff with me and stuff. It's a mutual admiration society. I think you'll enjoy it. So here's Nicholas and Michelle. Nicholas and Michelle, welcome back to the show. Good afternoon, Sherry. It's wonderful to hear from you. Hi, Sherry. Great to hear from you again. Hi. How have you been? How's the weather out your end of the world? Well, we're up here in Orange. We have the day off from work. It's actually very blue skies and sunny, which is a nice change of pace. Uh, you know, uh, the last, what, couple weeks with all the, the unfortunate fires going on, uh, in our neck of the woods, it was, you know, the sun was blotted out and looked very post-apocalyptic. It had a weird, like, orange glow everywhere. It was raining ash. Not not a couple fun days there, so it's really nice to have kind of blue skies today. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, we've had, uh, I'm in San Diego, and we've had it too, but it's more yellow than orange here. I'm not sure, because the Miramar fire is not far from where I live. And that was pretty lucky. Um, thank God it's out. And so I woke up this morning and my cat is staring out my window. And I, I went up on my knees because it's high up to look out too. And I went, ooh, this is nice. So I took a quick pic and I put it on Instagram. Aww. <laughs> uh, I wanted it to go wait. up there. <laughs> well, we're glad that you haven't been impacted by the fire down there too much. Uh, we, we know a couple folks that live up north they, that they kind of have, so it's been it's been very unfortunate. These these past couple months, I'm just going to be blunt, have have been awful. You know, pandemics and fires and economic collapse. It's it, this has not been a good year. This has been like 1929 or something. I mean, it's just been a horrible year. Or 1968, if you want something later. Um, just a horrible year. Yeah, it was supposed to be the start of a new decade. I, I definitely hope that it's, you know, onward and upward after after this year. I know, and I was actually looking forward to 2020. I was thinking, oh, it's, it's like, the, maybe we'll have it and be positive, blah, blah, blah. No, it was horrible. <laughs> I, I was looking forward for the Charleston to come back, some Art Deco, everyone <laughs> resuming, you know, flapper style, it was going to be great. That's the way I was looking at it, and there was all kinds of events. I had, like, you should, I'm, I'm not a social butterfly, and I did do two things in January and March, just before the pandemic, but, and my birthday, 
So I was busy, and then I had all these events that was supposed to be happening all through the year, and of course everything got canceled, and I've been home. My brother's like an essential, so he's a postman, so he has to go to work every day, but I've been working from home. Other than taking my walk, I really have not seen life outside my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I've been working remote since mid-March. Um, pretty much staying home. Uh, if I mean, we changed our whole world. I mean, we used to go shopping probably three, four times a week, just you know, getting small things throughout the week. And you know, now we go once a week. Uh, you know, and of course, face covering, social distancing. Um, Nick is an essential um, in in his office, so he has consistently gone to work since March. Um, but I've been home. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been a heck of a of a year. Uh, like like both of you, I was kind of thinking, oh great, beginning of a new decade. Uh, it's a you know a good kind of reboot, reset, new start type of thing, and it's it hasn't been that at all. And like you, I you know I've had plans to go to different uh, Comic Con, WonderCon. Um, you know, whatever other cons that were out there that I typically go to each year. And, you know, it's it's been sad. No no opportunity to go to any of those this year. It's been, it's been very sad that way. I know. I was supposed to go to a Writers Award thing. I was supposed to go to the Xena convention. I was supposed to go to a convention in this month. And they, you know, they're all poof. <laughs> Well, speaking of Zena, um, Nick, I think you've got a question here to, to ask uh, Sherry. Yeah, I, the Scuttlebutt is a new Zena book came out that you've contributed a, an essay to. Yeah, actually two. <laughs> oh, two, so d double trouble there. Tell us about it because, you know, I love my Zena. I love my sword and sandal stuff, so... You know, I saw on social media, like, Stephen Sears pimping this book, and I saw you pimping it, and I'm like, oh, 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 I got to learn a bit more about this. Yeah, um, this is uh, Mary D. Brooks. She's, it's her baby. Uh, she came up with it a few years back, the idea. Uh, she wanted to do something to celebrate the 25th anniversary of Xena. Um, it changed so many people's lives. It gave so much money to charity. It helped so many people that she wanted to do something and she wanted to be focused not on the stars or the production but the fans and their lives and what happened to them and and it happened to me too because I had pretty much given up on my writing until Zena came along um, real life kind of tore me away from it um, so I had started writing fan fiction and I uh, it led me to write uh, original fiction again, which I hadn't done for like 10 years. And I wrote a book, uh, Murder, Inc. And then I started working on my writing and doing my broadcast and all this other stuff. And Mary uh, sent me a message, um, uh, can Steve and I come on to talk about the book? And I go, sure, of course, anytime. And she said, Stephen L. Sears. Um, and she says, and I want you to do two chapters. And I went, what? <laughs> 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 and 
<laughs> and she says, I want you to do two chapters. I want you to do a chapter about uh, fan fiction and how it led to things, and I want you to do a chapter on the your shows. Um, and so she gave us a year. Uh, she had, I think there's 50 professional authors and then all the fans. So she had hundreds of writing to wrangle into this book and then she opened it up to any illustrator like a big art contest and video contest and I mean this thing is the size of the Encyclopedia Britannica for those people young that's big okay <laughs> it's huge <laughs> and she, oh, yeah. she pretty much did it by herself <laughs> it's an incredible and you know honorable uh, project and, and a wonderful way to commemorate such a, a fantastic IP that, that really changed a lot of lives. And it's great to hear how it changed your life and the fact that it inspired you to pick up writing again. That's just, that's phenomenal that, you know, shows can touch us in such very personal ways. It is interesting. I mean, uh, I always was on two paths. Uh, acting and writing and actually they it researched my acting too so it, it researched pretty much all my creativity because when you're in the world and you have to make your rent and you have to pay for your car and food and stuff and you're living on your own it's just really hard to be creative <laughs> oh yeah real life gets in the way sometimes doesn't it yeah so that's what it did. I mean, um, and there was a lot of people who were helpful and inspiring and told me, the people who ran websites, uh, I started small because I wasn't sure. I started writing poetry. Um, mm -hmm. And then I started, do you ever watch an episode of a TV show and it's not enough and you want more? You want a more solid ending because it's so obtuse that it's like there's not it's a, it's an okay ending but it doesn't really end so you you in your head you build an entire ending well I wrote them down that's how I started my fan fiction with Zena <laughs> Aww. Quantum Leap that that show did that you know after Quantum Leap ended you wanted more Quantum Leap yeah yeah I mean it's not just Zena I've, I've had that with other shows lots of shows uh, Star Trek Miss um, Fisher, a lot of shows, they the episode will end and you're like, wait a minute, I have all these things that, all these untied things. Wait a minute, do I ha are you guys going to continue and you wait for next week and nope, not continue, totally standalone, nothing to do with it, because it's not part of the arc. And you're like, okay, so that's when you start like creating your own, and that's how my fan fiction was born, both for Star Trek, Xena, Misfit, almost everything, when, that's how I get, you hear the voices in your head, and it, the episode doesn't end the way you want, and that's how, at least for me, my fan fiction started, before I started, I mean, I always did original writing, but that's how my fan fiction started, was mostly, <laughs> I wanted more! <laughs> and Sherry, how did that help you, going from fan fiction to, uh, you know, to writing original fiction? And first of all, it showed me I could do it. Um, mm -hmm. And I got people writing to me ask, uh, asking for more. I literally got fans. 
Because when I first started fan fiction for Star Trek, there was, it was zines, and you didn't get feedback. They were paper. You would mail them back and forth. You may get one letter, or you may get a little note on the back of a magazine. But or you, when you meet people at a convention, oh, you wrote that. That was really good. You know. But in today's world, with uh, fan fiction, you you get immediate feedback, and you have people who follow you all through your writing, and you suddenly have fans who inspire you, and I started thinking about doing original work again because of that. That's how I did it. <laughs> yeah. Now, do you still write fan fiction, or yep. are you more original now? I do. Original stories. I do both. Uh, fan fiction is for fun. Mm -hmm. uh, it's purely just a relaxation. <laughs> I read and I write fan fiction for fun. Uh, my my stories are obsessive, and I work hard on them, and I, sometimes it takes me a year to get it the way I want it, and then I, I'm working with editors and publishers and stuff like that, and the whole different ball of wax. <laughs> um, well, Nick and I uh, had a book come out, too, this year, actually, uh, just a, a, a few short weeks before the pandemic. Um is, it's called Horror Literature from Gothic to Postmodern Critical Essays. It's a book that uh, Nick and I edited, although we, we write and edit our own projects. This was one that we did together um, because we are also the co-founders and co-chairs of a academic conference called the Anne Radcliffe Academic Conference, very original there. Um, but it's annually through the Horror Writers Association. Um, so we put a book together. Yeah, and it collected about, you know, a handful of presentations from uh, the first two years of presentations. And, you know, we, we had authors that wanted to be part of the project. We procured a contract for it, and we just turned their presentations into essays. And so, and it's also the Horror Writers Association's first uh, academic book. You know, they've actually put out quite a few other books. I think they just released one that's like a, you know, an homage to uh, scary tales to tell in the dark or something. But, yeah, it's, it's kind of a, a nice accomplishment, not not just for us, but, you know, a lot of the academics in this book, this is their first time being published as well. It's and really good. It's, well, yeah, it's very you know, important for an academic is to be published, so that's excellent. It, it, the, the two best things for an academic, the first one is to be published, the second one is then to be cited for your published work. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when you find out someone has like uh, cited your work in their work, it, it's this most like positive feeling that you were able to make something that contributed to the success of someone else. That's true. That's really true. And it's funny because I use academic material a lot, and I always cite it at the end, at either in you know thank yous or someplace. I always cite who I I got my material from. And when I wrote Fantasy Time, Inc., I, I used a lot of academic information for the 20s and 1860s when I was writing it. Oh, and, and that's so nice that you reference uh, because I know when I'm, like when I'm looking at books, uh, uh, being able to see what people have used for references is such a huge help when I'm doing my own research because you can't always stay in primary sources and, you know, you've got to work beyond that and go into secondary sources. So thank you, Sherry, for referencing 
all those academics. It's always good for, for the rest of us. Well, I also, well, I studied archaeology, so I have a passion for that side of the world, too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> ah. Yeah, I have a degree in archaeology, cool. but I, I, don't, I don't work for the travel channel like somebody I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh, that'd be a dream job. Wouldn't it? Michelle and I, you know, we 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 both have our masters, you know. We've we've always thought it'd be kind of neat if we got our doctorates, you know, in film studies and interdisciplinary studies. And a lot of our colleagues, you know, they do have their doctorates. And, and I'll, I'll admit, you know, there's a little bit of you know envy there that you know I wish I had a doctorate or something. But on the other hand, you know, one I did get a master's, uh, which is cool. But two, you know, I've been able to write essays. Uh, or contribute to other people's books or in the case of our, our new book, you know, co-edit a book that, you know, no one else has done. Yep. So, you know, not, you know, not having a doctorate didn't mean that, you know, we couldn't contribute meaningfully to the greater dialogue out there. Yeah, and Josh so has a great career. <laughs> he's, uh, he, he's, he's out there all of the time and he even has now a talk show where he talks to Lucy Lawless Jealous, jealous, jealous. Um, I'm not kidding. <laughs> yeah, you interviewed Lucy. I was like, oh my God, how did you do that? <laughs> well, you you haven't gotten to interview her? No, I haven't gotten to interview Lucy, no. Aww. I know. But, but you've interviewed a lot of cool people. Yes, you have. Some of our favorite people, the Stephen L. Sears and Lee Mary, our two favorite peoples in the universe. Thank you. Pretty yes, fun. and they're wonderful, and they're they're so much fun. And uh, and Stephen is one of the most nurturing people I know. He really is. He's he's such a kind person, and he's always giving, um, and witty, and entertaining. Yeah, he's he's a wonderful, very talented, very knowledgeable. I know. And I knew when I reached out to him to see if he wanted to be part of my uh, Peplum book to write about Xena. Uh, he was like, heck yeah, send me an email. I am down. And so, you know, I, I always uh, feel so grateful that, you know, when my Peplum book came out, you know, that I was able to have him be, you know, doing the afterword for it. And he's just so giving and so gregarious and supportive of everything. Yeah. <clears throat> he is. He's really cool. And Lee is very nurturing, too. She's very supportive. Um, they're both really cool people, so if you have to pick two people, those are really two of the coolest people. <laughs> of course, now I will tell you, I'm jealous, um, because you've gotten to, uh, interview the cast from Miss Fisher's. Yes! Uh, I'm like, oh, that, that I'm jelly about right there. <laughs> We've also got to interview, I believe, the uh, the flapper uh, Egyptologist, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, Colleen, Colleen Darnell. She's really yeah. I, yeah she's been on my show twice. She's been really cool, really, really sweet. So smart. Yeah, just, oh, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. No, I just said she's smart, which is like duh. <laughs> I just recently found that she had a uh, that she has a YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, she's doing a, uh, She and her husband are doing a tour of their house in in uh, segments, which has been fascinating to just listen to their stories and you know the different artifacts that they share. 
uh, in each episode has been a lot of fun. And of course, I follow her on, on Instagram. And she also, on YouTube, they have a thing where they teach about uh, anthropology and archaeology. Egyptology, actually. Mm -hmm. um, that's yeah. also really cool. Definitely worth listening. To. If you're like me and kind of a nut for Egyptology, that is the coolest. <laughs> I was really excited to talk to Colleen because it was the first time I ever actually got to interview an archaeologist uh, and who was who was a specialist as an Egyptologist. I was like, yes! <laughs> so what else have you been working on these past couple months, Sherry? I have two books, but and I've been rushing uh, to try to get them published, but because I've been ill, um, it actually, my own, I'm putting a lot of pressure on myself, and so um, I decided that I'm going to push all my books that are my own personal books off until next year because I'm just putting too much pressure on myself. I'm actually getting myself sicker. That's smart that you're seeing that and that you're taking the steps to ensure good health. Yeah, in the world the way it's today and um, based on how sick I have been this year, I have I don't have COVID, so don't worry. No emails. I'm fine. It's, it's <laughs> um, but based on that, um, I just I just thought you know if I put as much pressure on myself to get they're, they're done. I'm just trying to get it edited and clean and pretty to be published, and I, I I'm just putting my, so much pressure on every single word that I'm, I'm missing the whole story. I'm just, I need to step back and take my time and give myself some more time before I let them go again. Mm-hmm. I don't why. know how you guys are, but I get kind of obsessive and want to make it. Because you, you publish something, and and you guys probably know this, people will come out of the woodwork to find every flaw and are not shy to let you know how you messed up. And this happens in fan fiction, but it happens even more when you're publishing a book. And even though you're really careful and you work with an editor and you have other people read it and they give you feedback and you work your tushy off to try to make it as good as you can, you'll always get these people. <laughs> I, I know when my first book came out, there was two minor errors found in it and they were by me I found them by accident no one else actually came up you know because it went through rigorous editing and you know, self-editing and people editing in their own essays and also editing at the publisher and it was like a couple of months later I was going through my own book and I I noticed two errors like oh my and I'm like uh you know it wasn't pointed out by anyone else so they were self self found but at the same time it's like oh so I did the, the smartest thing I could, go to my website and said, errata, you know, two, two small changes in my book. But, yeah, it just feels like uh, anytime you revisit a text, you might discover an error, or better yet, you rediscover, you know what, I probably could have made that point more concise, or you get inspired, like, you know, I made that sentence, that sounds good, but I could see how I could have added more to it, which will lead to, you know, another essay, another project idea down the road. The funny thing is, is that sometimes I'll read one of my old stories, and even though I know I 
I wrote it. I mean, you have this, I don't know if everybody has, but you kind of separate yourself once it's out there from the story. You, it's like, that's it. It's flown. It's like a little birdie that's flown on its own way. So once every once in a while, I'll pick up uh, one of my old short stories or one of my old plays or something like that. In fact, I, I revived a play for Sherry's Playhouse that I had written years ago. And I went, gee, this is pretty good. I, I can't believe I wrote this. I don't even remember writing it. <laughs> 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 Have you ever had that happen? <laughs> uh, yes, my master's thesis. I revisited a while back, and I was like, I, I didn't know I wrote that well. <laughs> yeah, you're just like, oh, this is pretty good. Yeah, it's like, yeah. And sometimes yeah, you don't yeah, even recognize your own self because it's so different than what you remember it as. I don't know if that makes any sense. but that's it, it does. It's being in a different space than you were when you were writing. And, and the material, your engagement's different after, you know, I wrote my master's thesis uh, 10 years ago. And when I looked at it a couple of years ago, I mean, I'm I'm eight years, I was eight years out of the material. And it was interesting to reread it and you know, have it come back to me, but also to think about how I could make other points. You know, like you were saying, you know, to clarify a point or... Turn it into book two. Yeah, or turn it into a book. <laughs> a point. Which is good. That's good. And that's what... I think that's one of the reasons you're supposed to reread your work. It's like, oh, yeah, maybe I could do a sequel on this. <laughs> yeah. So, on the subject of projects these past couple months and also something that you made a point of way earlier in the dialogue of you know you're talking about you know after a show ends how you want it to kind of keep going on yeah um, uh, shortly I think it was shortly after last time we talked so this would have been in February or March I actually had an editor reach out asking if I wanted to contribute an essay to a book on the Twilight Zone oh cool and and at the time, I'm like, I was saying to myself, no, Nick, say no, say no. You've got other projects to do. Don't do it. So, of course, I did it. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was a really quick turnaround time. You know, I had to bust out an essay on the Twilight Zone in basically two to three months. And I, I'm not exactly the most gifted person in the Twilight Zone. I know it's super in, in, influential. And I've, I've seen, like, maybe an episode or two back on Sci-Fi Channel in the 90s. But one of the things I wrote about was, there's this movie that came out in the early 70s called uh, Encounter with the Unknown. And it's this really schlocky, paranormal, occult anthology movie. But it's got Rod Serling, who narrates it. And there's this book that uh, Michelle picked up called, oh, it's, it's called something like Prequels, Sequels, Remakes, Reboots. And it's about this concept called multiplicities where it's talking about after a text comes out, especially like a movie, where you'll have a whole slew of, you know, well, you know, let's make a sequel to it. Let's reboot it. Let's do spinoffs. Let's do knockoffs of it. And the idea is something, it ties into what you were saying a little bit earlier, um, that when the lights, you know, close and the curtain comes up, the show actually can still go on. That there's other texts out there that continue the dialogue of, you know, of the original you know, whatever, movie, TV show, or whatever. In this case, this movie I was writing this essay on, this really bad movie called Encounter of the Unknown, was a multiplicity of the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone had been off the air about 10 years from then, 
you know, you had Night Gallery out, but people are still hungry for a Twilight Zone-like experience. You know, this is still a couple years away from the movie in the 80s uh, reboot. So it was nice to kind of dive into this world about the Twilight Zone and talk about basically a, a rip-off text of it. And uh, so my little contribution to Twilight Zone academia out there will be this essay that's going to be coming out in the next year or so. So what is the title of the book? Not sure what the title is yet. I, usually these types of books don't have a title until way end in the process. My guess will probably be something silly like Twilight Zone Critical Essays. <laughs> Very academic. Um. <laughs> Actually, if anything, it'll probably be even longer. It'll say Twilight Zone Critical Essays on the Influential and Progressive sci-fi and fantasy programs of the 60s and beyond. <laughs> you know, really in, a, in a postmodern, you know, contemporary environment or something weird. Um, what, what I was going to say um, or add into the conversation is that, um, Sherry, you might be interested in the book that Nick was referencing. It's called uh, Cycles, Sequels, Spinoffs, Remakes, and Reboots. Multiplicities in Film and Television. It's edited by Amanda Ann Klein and R. Barton Palmer. But I wanted to mention that because of your work with Xena and um, that entire IP as well as like Star Trek, this would probably be an interesting book for you to read um, and probably give you some ideas for future writing. Okay. Well, actually I'm doing the fan fiction for Miss Fisher now, so... <laughs> Oh, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, uh, you, you kind of like move with what your interest is. So right now it's Miss Fisher. It'll, it'll change. Just that's like it went from Star Trek to Xena to Miss Fisher. That's fan fiction. That's the weird world of fan fiction. <laughs> I, I hope you're spinning paragraphs describing all of her gorgeous outfits. Well, it's sort of normal with her to talk about her clothes because she wears amazing clothes, but mostly it's romance between her and Jack. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> That's what no, most no. of us are focused on is... I mean, there's other stuff. There's a lot of the um, Red Raggers and... Um, and Miss Anne Ann Prudence and uh, and a little bit of Lynn is in there and you know there's a lot of stuff but most people are focused on what they call frack. <laughs> so I have a question uh, with regards to your fan fiction. Now for the longest time they finished up the series uh, because I watched it when it was on Netflix mm -hmm. and they had and it ended. She's flying off to Paris or, yeah, Europe somewhere, Jack stays behind, um, and now more recently, like within the last year, they came out with a movie mm -hmm. uh, that kind of picks up after that. So how does that work with fan fiction when you've written stories and now they actually came back? Um, and how did they come to that story? Was that actually like a fan fiction conceptual story? I mean... Well, the story was from the original writer. It was from Deb Cox for the movie. Um, I actually interviewed the entire group that produced the movie. Um, um, Deb Cox, uh, Tony Tilt, the director, and 
Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot her name. She's the line producer. Ah, Lucy Mick something. Sorry, Lucy. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I had an interview with all of them. But basically, um, Deb had this idea for a while. Um, and then it kept having to change because the people who were in the cast were working on different projects and it was a long ways off and there's a lot of other stuff that was and so a lot uh, and some of the dialogue um, I interviewed um, Anthony Sharp and Travis uh, McMahon and he they played the Red Raggers um, Seth and Bert and they both said that they had more dialogue but um, because of time, they got, it got cut. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it's an original thing. What happens with the fan fiction, though, is much more interesting. The speculative fan fiction at the end of the show becomes what's called AU, which is basically outside of the canon. And mm -hmm. so then... The movie is added to the canon. Now, some people don't like the movie, so they make the movie AU and the AU actually canon for them. It's very crazy. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, but, yeah, just, I, you just go with the flow. Um, they just, uh, I like the movie. I love the movie. I don't, have you, have you seen it yet, Michelle? I have not seen it yet. Um, I, I it's not on Netflix, and I I pay for Netflix. Um, so I'm either gonna have to go to BritBox or um, the other one, Acorn. It's exclusively so on. Watch it's, the movie. it's exclusively on Acorn. In fact, all of Miss Fisher is now on Acorn. Oh, okay. That's good to know. I will um, probably have to do Acorn then. And there's a lot of cool stuff on Acorn, so yeah. Um. Lucy's uh, show My Life is Murder is on Acorn. That's how I discovered it was because I was on Acorn for Miss Fisher, the movie, waiting for the movie, and all of a sudden, there's Lucy, My Life is Murder. And I'm like, yes! Um, <laughs> oh, nice. So, yeah. It's a good show. Um, I don't know if... Uh, I love murder mystery, so it, it's fun. Yeah, I, I watch Midsummer Murders. Yeah. Um, until they took it off of Netflix and they went to the, I, I think it's all exclusive on BritBox now. It's actually on both, Acorn and BritBox. I'm not sure how they do that. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah, because I, I have really it. Think, I have both, and they're on both. I have no idea how they well, do that. Um, that was a series that I love to watch, um, and I didn't finish it while it was still on Netflix. I think I got through, like, season 12 or 13, but, you know, that's, like, up to season 20. Yeah. We're coming to the end, so do you guys have a website, and what social media are you on, so people can say hi and find your stuff? All right. Well, I just launched a brand-new website. Uh, same address, but <laughs> a new website at nickdiak.com. Uh, that's where I'll be posting a lot of my short form essays and reviews and stuff. But you know, any any sort of project I'm working on, you'll see there. 
and links to all my social media is there too Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and so on and so forth uh, link to all of our podcasts that we do including appearing on Chatting with Sherry and then <laughs> you know uh, links to because uh, Michelle and I we have our own podcast called the HP Lovecast podcast that we do twice a month and so you'll find links to it there as well and of course you know all the books and essays I'm either currently working on or have already come out. But that's me and Asha. I'm, I'm pretty accessible and uh, <laughs> easy to find. Okay. And Michelle? Uh, I am actually working on a new website. It's uh, Uh So mine's a work in progress. I'm a bit slower and, and, um, than Nick is with getting mine up to speed. Um, I tend to be a little more shy about social media just because I am. Um, but I do occasionally post more so on my kitties' uh, Instagram called uh, Algernon, Algernon and Cecily. Um, I'm usually posting some images of them. Um, but if people are interested in my projects that I've worked on and would like to follow me along on my website, they can do michellebrittany.com. I've also got a profile on Amazon. I have an author page there um, that people can go to, as well as uh, HP Lovecast on Facebook. And I've been kind of working a bit more on a Spy Fi and Super Spy since the Facebook group um, you have to ask to join. Um, but I've had a bit more activity, particularly since Bond's going to be uh, coming out in November. Fingers and toes are crossed. <laughs> And uh, co coincides with my James Bond book I did. Oh my gosh, it's like six years ago now, but it still has a lot of life in it. Cool. And what's the name of your James Bond book? Um. Oh my gosh, James Bond in popular culture. Uh, critical essays on the fictional super spy. Something like that. Something like that. <laughs> okay. but, but the main title is James Bond and Popular Culture. Uh, that's Michelle's first book. I've got an essay in that book on bad Italian knockoffs, which I love. <laughs> I actually really love I love James Bond, so I'm a, I'm a yeah. fan. Well, it's got the best James Bond on the cover. You know, at that time, it, it uh, has uh, Sean Connery. Ah. So. Yeah, I mean, I love... I will... I'm a, I'm kind of a Pierce Bronson girl. Yes, right there. I'm with you. I, I I'm a Pierce uh, uh person because I grew up with Golden Eye, but um, yeah. Well, I grew <laughs> up with Roger Moore, but uh, and I love Roger Moore, but uh, I don't know. Pierce is just uh, sexy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we have that I think Michelle and I should talk about real quick before wrapping up is we do have our call for papers for next year's Anne Radcliffe Academic Conference and that's you know we're accepting you know proposals for essays you know in gothic horror you know it, from across all mediums you know books film literature uh, that's redundant TV shows and so on and so forth and our call for papers uh, closes at the end of November, so you can find that call for papers at the StokerCon website, at our own websites, uh, anywhere where you look for, uh, you know, conference uh, requests. Cool. Yeah, UPenn and HNet, the, the usual places that academic people go to. Okay. And um, is there like a um, is there a, a central place they can go to if they want to contact you for that? Um, yeah, StokerCon 
uh, is probably the main site where you can go and, and read the entire uh, CFP and then um, our email address for is, that is nradcon at gmail.com or, or just get in touch with us if any other uh, way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, thank you guys for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Sherry. It's always so great to talk with you and play catch-up, and we wish you the very best and, and continued good health and everything going on uh, for you. Thank yeah, you. thank you so much, Sherry. It's been a real pleasure to catch up with you. Um, again, congratulations on the Xena essays. Um, that's just that's fantastic. Yes. We're glad for you. Um, it just sounds like good stuff. Uh, in spite of the year is coming uh, our way. So, um, again, thank you so much for your time and taking an interest in what we do. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you both. And thank you for chatting with Sherry. Thank you.